Uber, don't get taken for a ride. I remember my high school days. Gas prices were cheap. Me and the fellas would just go for rides. We didn't particularly know where we were going. The only certainty was one of us had the keys to a parent's car. We drove everywhere. Our favorites were the lakefront in Chicago and cruising around the naval base in Philly. Going for a ride with no goal in mind or expectations to note wasn't so bad. It was actually fun. However, with your money, too many investors are being taken for a ride. Let's get this show on the road. This is Eric O'January, CPA, author of the Gainology book series. Today in this Gainology podcast, I want to discuss Uber and use it to explain how investors are being taken for a ride. Problem is, many don't know it until the ride ends in a financial wreck. How do you know that you're being taken for a ride? Although there are a number of signs that should trigger alarms, in this podcast, I'll illustrate several. I won't be able to go into the detail that my books provide, but I'll provide some useful information. Although you may not have used the service, you more than likely have heard the name. Uber's trademark is like Coke and Cola. It is synonymous with the industry. It wasn't the first ride-sharing business. Sidecar started the category, and its founder, Sunil Paul, patented a software using an app to get a lift in 2002, pun intended. Notice that I said in 2002. Apps as we know them didn't get introduced into the market until 2007 when Apple introduced its first iPhone. That was visionary on Paul's part. I often wonder if he made any money off the idea that is patent Apple and Google's bottom lines. However, prior to smartphones, way before Uber, Sidecar, Diddy, and etc. were even thoughts, you could hail a ride. All you had to do was call a taxi. Maybe you've never been in a taxi. They had and have problems. Their prices were unreasonable, and the service was often shoddy or hardly available outside of central business districts in high-income areas. Forget about getting a taxi in the ghetto or late at night. You could blow up their phones and would get no service. Ride-sharing services tapped into the pent-up demand of those who needed to earn more money and those desiring affordable point A to B transportation. Prior to this innovation, the only way that you can get door-to-door transportation was either to own a car, get a limo, or call a paratransit operator. You could also bum a ride, but mature people don't like being dependent on someone else. Hence, a major problem that the ride-share industry solved It helped people without their own automobile gain a sense of independence and convenience. Meeting the need and capturing market share will require money. Uber alone obtained over $12.8 billion from eight funding rounds, according to Stanford's VC initiative. Problem was, they were burning through that capital as fast as the wire hit the bank. Despite rapidly burning through capital, management wasn't in a hurry to go public. Management was probably fronting. Maybe they were acting like big hats and no cattle. Those people that appear to be rich and don't have a monetary care in the world but are inwardly panicked about their upside-down financial position. Maybe the execs at Uber were sincere. I can personally understand if they were, just as many Main Street business owners can. For instance, if I had raised nearly $13 billion, I wouldn't be asking for another dime. Don't get me wrong, I am fully aware that some businesses are capital-intensive and often require a lot of capital to get off the ground. Airlines are capital-intensive businesses. Boeing, an airplane manufacturer, almost went bankrupt developing the 747. But in this case, I, for one, would be ashamed that I blew through that much money. 
That is thousands of millions of dollars. To be exact, that is $12,800 million or $12.8 billion. My goal would be to figure out how to make the billions I had gained work. But that would make too much sense for Wall Street's ethos. Those behind the steering wheel of Uber acquiesced because they undoubtedly realized that the company would fail without additional investor dollars. The Boys Club, as it was called, because of its overtly male-friendly culture, got on what is called the Investor Roadshow. Not only would the company have needed the money eventually, management may have decided to go public because employees and insiders with equity interests wanted to cash out. You know what I mean. Maybe these highly compensated computer programmers and engineers and investors didn't appreciate feeling like many homeowners who have tons of equity but are broke. This is also known as being property rich and cash poor. In 2018, a money-losing, well-funded, late-stage startup business like Uber wasn't unique. Airbnb fit the bill. WeWork did too. They were all unicorns. A unicorn is a venture capital-backed business that was valued at at least $1 billion. Neither of these unicorns was rushing to tap the public's wallet at the time. Maybe I'll talk about that in another podcast. Deciding to do an IPO starts another chapter in a company's life. Uber, after going public, didn't change its modus operandi. Despite bleeding money, the predatory pricing and unregulated business model rapidly decimated the taxicab industry. Taxicabs, the red, the yellow, black, and checkered, and all the other taxicab companies out there had long thought that their market was financially and from a regulatory standpoint impossible to penetrate. Many drivers were grueling hours paying for houses, sending their children to college, and etc. My grandparents' youngest brother, Emerson, drove a taxi. We would hardly ever see him. It paid the bills, but it was hard work that took a toll on their health and relationships. Many were small business owners who were already on shaky ground. The large players, however, who dominated the industry, thought that their fortunes were secure from one generation to the next. For one, they thought that they would always be able to make money in and off the business due to having a monopolistic control of the limited number of medallions. A medallion is a tin plate affixed to the hood of a vehicle. It is a license to operate a taxi within a city's limits. Each taxi to this day must have a medallion to operate in cities like Chicago and probably New York as well. Medallions in large cities like New York each sold for a million plus at their zeniths. The lenders who seized control of various markets and made loans to the operators at credit card interest rates shouldn't have abused the operators by artificially inflating medallion prices. This made them vulnerable to upstarts, but they didn't care because many of them got rich and cashed out before it hit the fan. Sounds like a familiar story. Having done accounting work for the industry, I know firsthand that owning medallions was lucrative for the owners. Taxicab drivers often bought them as an investment, something that they knew, historically speaking, would increase in value. Many bought medallions instead of getting life insurance, believing it was a better use of funds. All that rapidly changed when ride-hailing companies found a way around their wall with software. Uber and Lyft, thousands of drivers helped drive many heavily indebted taxicab operators into bankruptcy. The ride-share businesses, as a result of taxicab operators' financial and regulatory inflexibility, ate their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. It wasn't a contest. The same New York City medallions that sold for as much 
or more than a million dollars each in 2014 now sell for less than $100,000. Sadly, many of these small business owners committed suicide. Others have died as a result of the financial stress. The market for medallions in San Francisco is effectively frozen. None, zero. Not one has been bought or sold for over two years. Medallion loans are now considered toxic assets due to their high default rates. Largely as a result of ride-hailing companies' proliferation, who is taking people for rides has dramatically shifted. Ridership on public transportation declined. Taxicab services are so desperate for business that Uber executives have recently stated in so many words that allowing taxicab drivers to use their app to get fares represents the greatest growth opportunity for the company. How ironic and you know, sad at the same time. And I'm not uh, I'm laughing just out of disbelief, but can't be I uh, can't uh, disbelieve. These are the facts. As interesting as the story of how the ride-sharing industry disrupted an industry ripe for a shakeup is, you are, I'm certain, wondering, how can I tell if I'm being taken for an investment ride? I know that's what you're thinking. One way is to learn what numbers matter. I detail what those numbers are in my second book of my Gainology book series. For instance, Uber's management projects that it will generate hundreds of billions in worldwide revenue. But so what? How does going from 90 to over 100 billion to close to 200 billion in worldwide revenue affect your valuation? You need to know what numbers to look at. Another thing to do is learn the ins and outs of the business. In this case, learn about the ride sharing business. If you know someone who drives for Uber or Lyft, ask them questions. Try to get a perspective on how well the business is doing. I've patronized the services and had some very interesting conversations with drivers, and you'd be amazed at the insights you can get from talking with frontline workers and not just reading what just might be forward-looking management BS. What I've discovered is that I like the hustler in them. Ride-sharing drivers are part of what's called the gig economy. They have an entrepreneurial spirit. The gig economy references those people that are independent contractors, not just those independent contractors who wear their own automobiles out while driving for ride hailing companies, delivering people, packages, food and meals. The gig economy represents the artists, the contractors, the handyman who all work for themselves on a full and often part time basis. In regard to the gig worker in the delivery business, they wear their vehicles out. I've done the tax returns and talked to people that have done it. Many have concluded it is often not worth the wear and tear on their vehicles, body, and relationships. Some got regular jobs. Others started other businesses. Gig workers, like my last Uber driver, who was a school teacher in Houston, are out to make money. Their drive to generate income is so strong that many won't even stop to use the bathroom. They act like astronauts, urinating in bottles or adult pampers. When they drive from one side of town to the next and then turn their apps on, the Uber and Lyft apps, they are not just taking joy rides. They are acting like taxi cab drivers, going where the money is at, from where more lucrative hits originate from. In other words, they are making strategic moves. Many investors are also out to profit. But unlike Uber drivers, investors often don't have a map plotted out for them or it is completely incorrect 
and they often don't have a clue where the trip is supposed to end. They just want to make some money, but are being taken for a ride. Let me explain again using Uber. When it went public, its shares were selling for $45 each. The company was losing money then as it is now, partially as a result of subsidizing riders' trips, like as a public transportation authority. FYI, in order to encourage people to use public transportation like Metro, CTA, SEPTA, or the um, Houston Transportation Authority, what the government wants to do is they don't want you to pollute the air with harmful vehicle emissions. It's a common practice for these governments to subsidize a rider's fare on public transportation. Typically, as a result, when I worked at my last job over two decades ago at Metra, a government-funded commuter train business, the price of the tickets only covered 50% of the cost of operating the service. In other words, the passengers only paid for half the cost of the ride. I don't know any businesses with a model that required routinely providing services for less than its cost. That's why I stated Uber is acting like a public transit authority that was more interested in fulfilling public policy than it was earning a profit for its shareholders. But we know that wasn't the case. Uber was thinking long term. They were only subsidizing the prices to gain market share at any price to beat their primary competition, Lyft. The fact that they were killing taxi cabs, that may have been their original intention, but their main goal was to gain as much market share to beat Lyft to certain areas. Although the CFO was forecasting that Uber would be cash flow positive by the end of 2022, don't get taken for a ride. First of all, the reality is no one knows. Another strain of COVID could paralyze the economy. Regulations could change. Gig workers could join unions en masse. The Fed could overdo it. The housing market could totally collapse. So much could happen. Secondarily, and probably more germane to the concern, is cash flow positive is such a deceptive statement. The business could still be operating at a loss on an accrual basis of accounting, but yet be cash flow positive. Again, don't get taken for a ride. Sign up for my comprehensive investing seminars on my website, conduitadvisors.com or ericojanuary.com, and you'll learn everything you need to know about accounting and investing. That advertisement aside, when I first started writing this podcast, the stock was down to $40 per share. That means if an owner had to sell their stock that they paid $40 for, $45 for, they would lose $5 per share. This is a capital loss that can be used to offset capital gains that they have realized from selling Bitcoin. To learn about Bitcoin, I recommend listening to my podcast titled Bitcoin, Your Money Isn't Supposed to Make You Money. Losing $5 or 11% of your investment isn't going to be the end of the world for most investors. If you can't afford to lose that little, you shouldn't be investing. You shouldn't be investing in stocks, bonds, mutual funds, real estate, nothing. You should be saving your money, building emergency reserves, and reading my books to learn all you need to know about putting your money to work. You may also need to just relax. Take a chill pill. I'm not advocating that you do drugs. Just making an observation. Too often, old and new investors stress over what is insignificant. Just as the preceding recommendations are sound advice, too many Wall Street investors are being taken for a ride. They are being told to invest for the long term. They are being informed Uber will eventually be worth $70, $80, or $100 per share. Uber drivers can elect to get paid on a daily or weekly basis. Contrast that to what Wall Street pundits are recommending 
then you will know one of the telltale signs you're about to get taken for a ride. Thank you for tuning in. And if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to this podcast and share it on social media with everyone. In order to provide great content, I rely on your support and feedback. Order my books, learn what they uniquely teach. Contact me for investment, tax, and business advice. I'd be glad to help you.